Welcome to the program. I'm Jeff Sheckman. Social media often seems like an element that's been tacked on to our culture. Its fads come and go, and it often seems that things like Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Pinterest, and Snapchat are all fungible and subject to the laws of creative destruction. On the other hand, companies like YouTube and its parent company, Google, often feel like they're deeply integrated into our lives. We search on Google, we learn and can be entertained on YouTube, almost like personal television. They've become like essential utilities to get us through life. As such, they often get less scrutiny for both their influence and their business practices. When Andy Warhol said that everyone would be famous for 15 minutes, he could not have imagined YouTube. That everyone would be able to broadcast themselves to the planet and make money while doing it. More than an add-on to our culture, in many ways, things like YouTube are our culture. Unlike those other social media whose apps come and go, YouTube, on the other hand, represents our culture at its best and its worst. As its CEO, Susan Wojcicki, has said, it's a mirror of who we are. Capturing both this history and its cultural role is my guest, Mark Bergen. Mark is a journalist for Bloomberg News and the author of the new book, Like, Comment, Subscribe, Inside YouTube's Chaotic Rise to World Domination. Mark Bergen, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you here. Why isn't there more talk about YouTube? I mean, certainly it's out there. There's a sense of it, it being accepted. Occasionally there'll be the, the particular battles or, or the regulation battles that it engages in. But it certainly seems to get less scrutiny than some of the other social media situations. That's right. I think you kind of nailed it with this. this it, it functions utility for a lot of people, right? It is, it is um, for most people, certainly of a certain age, it's where you go to figure out how to fix your kitchen sink or something wrong with your car uh, or to find archival footage or do a, a workout routine. Uh, it does not have the same dynamics uh, as, as a Facebook feed um, or Twitter. And I think it's sort of just, it's like the air we breathe in some ways. And so we don't think of it as much. The company's been around um, now for 17 years and, and it joined Google pretty shortly thereafter. So it, it's um, it's not as novel uh, as TikTok, um, although it functions in, in a similar way. Um, I also think that, you know, and I write about this in the book, that Google is just uh, in some ways a more mature and savvier company than, than Facebook uh, and Twitter and is able to, I think, intentionally stay out of these conversations. Is that because of the nature of the company and the technology, or is it because it's had better leadership? I think it's the nature of the company. Uh, you know, YouTube is. It wasn't until 2019 that they actually shared any financial data with Wall Street or, or the public, um, and, and still they only give us a very a small amount of information about their business. Um, it's tucked inside Google, which is even tucked inside of Alphabet, their, their parent company. Um, Google is often you know, criticized in the press and, and dragged before Congress around privacy, antitrust, um, a, a myriad number of issues. And, and YouTube is a smaller part of its empire and so just has less visibility. Uh, I also think there's something structural about the way that video works. It is, you know, talk to researchers who, who study, say, like um, misinformation or kind of other harms about social media or it's, just a, it's, it's a wider impact. Text-based, like Facebook and, and Twitter are mostly text. It is easier to analyze. 
video is just so comp- like complicated and, and YouTube is um, you know, the stats that they've shared now it's, it's a few years old is 500 hours new footage uploaded every minute. Uh, this kind of incomprehensible amount of video footage that is really hard to study. And I think that contributes to, to this to this issue. One of the things that, that's remarkable that you talk about in like, comment, subscribe is how many battles, though, YouTube has fought, how many times it's had to change and morph in so many ways in order to keep up with, with sometimes criticism, sometimes regulation. It is, it's yes, it's, the history is is rather tortured and and um, it's a dramatic one and, and a really fun story to to tell. Um, you know, so much of what the decisions that they made, like a lot of their their pivotal moments, and I think what what separates YouTube a lot from its competitors and and what makes it really interesting to to me is that you know it, it has this it, it built this what we call a creator economy. Right, it was the first platform to really pay people to produce. Um, material on the internet and pay video producers in 2007. And then, so a lot of the decisions and, and the crises that the companies face is because every decision they make, whether it's to uh, change a content moderation policy or to outlaw a certain type of speech or to kind of pivot or, or tweak their algorithmic dials in one direction or another, that has consequences for millions of people who make money off the platform. Um, and millions of people who get often like very upset with what YouTube does. And so I think in, to go back to your first question, like there, there is certainly if you're a YouTube creator and you make money off the platform, it is central to your life and, and, and conversations. And, and there are a lot of people that have talked about the, the company for, for years. Talk about the people that make money off of it and, and how unique that was as it evolved. I mean, early on, a lot of the original YouTubers and, and then even before the term creators were, were kind of experimenting with this. They were maybe aspiring filmmakers or comedians or just uh, bloggers uh, kind of tinkering with this, this new medium. Uh, didn't have a guarantee of, of money or even a, a way to... to uh, have financial success. I mean, I think the, the savvy thing the company did was they, they figured out like, in order to get people um, from making videos elsewhere or to continue to upload, uh, they want to share some revenue. And so they began sharing in, in 2007 with a small group, um, which became uh, a, a pretty substantial um, maybe a decade ago. And then they opened the, the floodgates to millions of creators and started all whole new categories of content that didn't really exist on, on TV. Um, so video game play is one, beauty, makeup tutorials, kids content, vlogging, um, things that were relatively cheap to produce. You could produce a lot of footage, uh, and from, from uh, a, a small amount, but a certainly like a small relatively to, to the overall number of people that are uploading videos, but a pretty substantial number of people have built uh, multi-million dollar careers off of that. Talk about when the company first started, the bat, the initial battles that it engaged in over copyright, because that really set the stage for so much that would happen later. Yeah, that's right. I mean, and, you know, fundamentally what, what YouTube was doing for a lot of media companies was, I mean, I, I have this anecdote from the book, is that uh, Viacom, which was the, the parent company of MTV and Comedy Central and the host of TV, TV networks, I thought of YouTube's business model as like um, they, they basically you're, you're running a baseball game and you the baseball game is free and you just sell hot dogs in the parking lot. Um, they, they were giving away the, the media entertainment for free and then, and then running commercials. And um, 
there early on there were a lot of problems with with pirated footage or footage that came from TV that looked like it was pirated. Uh, Viacom sued YouTube for a billion dollars. It became this existential crisis for the for the company and the platform. Right, they couldn't solve this problem. Uh, there was a real threat that uh, traditional media would kind of sue them out of existence. Um, they they were able to solve it in part because they they built a um, a savvy product called Content ID that was able to up like identify kind of upload and identify copyrighted footage uh, that appears on the site and then share they said give the advertising revenue to the copyright holders. Uh, they were also successful in in the lawsuit in part because they they proved that just by looking at a video you can't identify whether or not it's copyrighted material or if the the person who owns that copyright uploads it uh, and so there was these kind of funny cases where you know, companies like um, a viacom company like cbs or paramount studios would would uh, actually up like kind of secretly upload their own clips um, because the marketing teams knew that youtube was this really powerful tool to get in front of a lot of people Talk about the success of that lawsuit, because that really was, I mean, just to stay on that a moment, that really was a turning point for YouTube. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it, it, it you know, it certainly proved that they, um, it solved that existential problem in the sense that they could continue to exist. For Google, it became clear that they are, they are now was a commercial path forward for the business. It wasn't, uh, it was more of a, it had more um, potential than liability. Um, I mean, I think it, it fundamentally changed the, the way that the, the internet works. And I think for a long time, before then, a lot of TV networks and, and movie studios were reluctant to put their material online. Um, and then after that was, you, you saw, you know, you saw late night TV start to appear the next day on YouTube, uh, music videos now sort of debut on YouTube. Um, and, and a lot of movie studios are, you know, set up like Disney will set up its own has a, its own competing streaming service, but but certainly um, shares a lot of material there. And I think that was because of that lawsuit. The other aspect is how successful this company has been. When when Google bought it for a little over a billion and a half dollars, people thought that was a huge amount of money at the time. Um, it's so tiny by current standards. Uh, that's right. I think it's up there with Instagram as far as like the savviest acquisitions in, in Silicon <laughs> Valley. Um, I think what, what, you know, when YouTube has last, so last year in 2021, they, they made close to $29 billion in advertising revenue. They also make additional money from people who pay for their subscription services and like music service or their, um, their TV streaming service. And so they, they've been the dominant force in the online video for a long time. Um, and are now moving more and more into like over-the-top TV streaming as a, as a potential market. Mm -hmm. Talk about that current business, trying to get into the TV streaming business. Sure, the YouTube TV is a product that they, gosh, I think it was um, maybe 2017 or 2018. Um, and it, it's, it packages a cable bundle, so you can, I think it's $65 a month now, and, and effectively works as like um, a, a really nice sort of over-the-top TV uh, station and and are like a bundle of tv networks uh and is like a lot of what youtube excels at is a pretty seamless viewing experience you can i mean i found it kind of marvelous when i've used it as like just automatic dvr and mm -hmm. go back and like kind of automatically watch every single nba playoff game uh and and pause it and and move forward it's sort of just like youtube itself right it's everything's on demand and and there's no buffering and sort of instantly plays 
Um, I think it, it certainly plays to the, to the company's strengths. Uh, it's also importantly not an area where they need to do content moderation, uh, right? They're just in this sense, like YouTube TV, that they have YouTube.com, but they also they have ESPN and ABC and, and all these uh, major networks that where a lot of the faults that the companies had, both both uh, in, in pol- politically and then on their business, have come from their struggle with content moderation. One of the areas where there's been a lot of struggles with regard to this is with, with respect to kids. Talk about that. Yeah, YouTube really... I, I struggled to use the word, hesitate to use the word um, accidentally because I think there was some intention in, in the way they set up. But they, from the from the get go, they weren't in trying to bring in a young audience. The site was designed as um, for legal reasons, as for viewers over the age of thirteen. Um, it was about a decade ago when when YouTube switched their algorithms and recommendation system to really prioritize what they call watch time, which is videos that just keep people watching as long as possible and sort of the inevitable happened there is like that became a huge draw to children and to, for children's content and then we had this explosion almost overnight of material in fact it didn't exist before and a lot of new categories there were you know new ways of, some of it was kind of just like what you see on on tv or or um you know dvds uh in the 90s maybe for kids uh, some of it kind of resembled Sesame Street, but a lot of it was something entirely new. A toy unboxing is just, was a really popular category um, that's effectively just sometimes don't even see hand, don't even see the people's faces. It's just a voiceover, not even a voice. It's just um, people like unboxing with with toys, and sometimes it's sort of been accused of being a 20 minute long commercial. Um, and those videos did phenomenally well uh, and took over the site and became this this massive category and, and really critical for their ads business. Talk about this notion of watch time, because that really was also a major change for, for YouTube. Um, yeah, it, it was a, a decade ago. And uh, um, you know, I think it's so important to kind of understand, uh, especially a company like Google, which is very much a, a computer science company, the decisions they make are driven by you know, the engineering metrics. And so the metric for YouTube for its first five years was uh, we're going to prioritize videos and the search system and the recommendations that, that get the most views. And they saw a problem there with what we call clickbait. Um, effectively, videos, you know, you know, click on a video, you kind of enticed with the headline or someone shares it, and, and then you realize quickly that it's not for you and you, you immediately jump away. Um, so t- in order to solve that, um, YouTube then switched over to, to basically videos that could keep people engaged for as long as possible. Um, and that had profound impact. I mean, that basically took off, uh, launched their business really, um, and and reached a goal they set that's uh, the same year for a billion hours of daily viewing uh, around the world, uh, which, you know, from inside the company, they still saw themselves as a very small underdog next to television, right? TV at the time had maybe four or five hours of Americans uh, daily time. And so in YouTube's mind, they were just trying to eat into this this market. Um, and really, they saw themselves as, as a much more expansive and interesting, um, and in many ways, kind of giving people more opportunity than, than traditional TV in Hollywood. As television itself has gone more towards streaming and on demand, has that been a fear for YouTube in terms of its business model? I think so. I mean, the sense that you know, so much of their 
their business team is um, their objective is to get you know they're kind of be as as expansive as possible to get as much TV and, and traditional media. I mean, I think in you know ideally YouTube would love Disney Plus just to live on YouTube rather than live on Disney Plus. Um, and in the sense of they are really competing for for eyeballs and for like the time of the day. Um, and so you know YouTube is competing with Facebook and Twitter and TikTok, but they're also competing with Netflix and and Disney Plus and Amazon Prime. I mean, they, at one point they launched an actual strategy around um, subscription service that uh, is now called YouTube Premium. They had an originals program that was similar to Netflix and Amazon, where they were an Apple TV, where they were producing their own original shows, mostly starring YouTube creators. Um, they've actually shut that down and and moved. Um, kind of let those companies fight it out for paying subscribers and, and seem to be much more comfortable with their, with their advertising business. Talk about how the advertising business was shaped by this notion of watch time. And the longer people would stay with something, the more effective it was for advertisers. Yeah, I think that, I mean, initially it seemed counterintuitive in the sense that if you know, the, the advertising business works like um mostly what they call pre-roll ads, those, those ads that pop up before a video starts. And so you know, the longer videos, you're going to have fewer times to run ads. Uh, and I think in, in the onset, actually, their their business dropped a little bit for that reason. But, you know, in, in the over a course of the years, it became very clear that this was this was the way that, that YouTube got people um, coming back to the site on a regular basis and just in watching much more YouTube than they would compared to, to TV. And the pitch to advertisers was always, you know, the audience is here on YouTube. Um, and you can get not only just a, a bigger, often bigger audience and maybe more engaged and kind of leaning in in a way that they're not on, on TV, but there's just this, what, what YouTube gives advertisers is this massive expanse of, kind of long tail of topics and interests that you would not be able to find on, on television. Um, and so if you're, you know, skiing enthusiast and you can easily just watch um, hours and hours of, of videos on YouTube about skiing, uh, but ski apparel, that's like a very clear, uh, desirable customer for you. And YouTube and Google makes it um, incredibly easy to reach them. It does seem that the decisions that YouTube has made, even in times of crisis, have been more carefully measured, more carefully thought out than a lot of other social media companies that have been more reactive in some respects or more interested in chasing the next shiny object without really looking deeply into what might be ahead. Is that true? Uh, I'd say yes and no. Um, I think YouTube by its nature moves it moves a little more slowly in part because the consequences that it has with with um creators and so there have been some pivotal moments where you know i think there's certainly people and i I talk about this in the book people inside the company wish that they had moved more quickly but the, the leadership was reluctant to say um make difficult moderation decisions because they knew that that would um have impact and could potentially cut off people's revenue. I, mean, I think they, you know, in, YouTube tends to act when um, they were forced from advertisers. So their, their most decisive decisions came not from re- even external pressure or even internal ones necessarily from like politicians or, or staff members, but when their advertisers boycotted the site in 2017 over extremist videos and inappropriate content. 
and then you sell the company quickly, snap into action. Um, and it did so again when they have a, a, a ad boycott over um, children's issues, and then and they made some major changes when they were regulated by the by the Federal Trade Commission. Um, so I think I think in part that they've been um, a, a little savvier on, on certain moves than than say Facebook, um, and their Facebook is much more willing to kind of be openly antagonistic towards regulators and towards the press in a way that YouTube is not. Um, but I, I think some of it is just by virtue of the fact that YouTube is so large and the decisions they make, um, you know, they have to balance the interests of, of viewers and advertisers and, and, and its creators and as well as now regulators. What are the regulatory hurdles that, that YouTube might face in the future? There's the one that they're still chiefly worried about uh, is this old old problem of theirs is copyright. Uh, it's copyright management. It's been, in Europe, in particular, there was a, um, a new uh, proposal around making it more difficult and uh, to do sort of for, for YouTube to continue to operate with its uh, copyrights management system and to make platforms like YouTube um, more liable for copyright infringement. Uh, they fought really hard and actually kind of got their big YouTube stars to come out and make videos against that legislation. Uh, there is restrictions on on ad targeting and privacy regulated with the um, from the FTC around uh, data collection of children that's um, kind of dented their their advertising business. Uh, I think around the world there and you know they're deeply concerned about antitrust violations like the Google is is facing um, antitrust cases in the U.S. and, and, and elsewhere in the, in the world, um, concerns about how companies will sort of, uh, what they will do with the future of liability for, for social media platforms, um, as well as what uh, we're increasingly seeing in, in big countries like India, or YouTube's biggest country, you know, the government is kind of having a much heavier hand and forcing YouTube to take down videos and content from uh, often from like uh, opposition from uh, political opposition or, or critics of the government. And I think that's a, a, a problem that YouTube's going to increasingly face. And yet they, they really are trying to navigate their way through all of these separate countries. Navigate their way with as much of a kind of a universal policy as possible. I think that's something that um, is really interesting about YouTube is that, that they it, it, they want to make decisions that are can have like a blanket policy across the world. Uh, which is very hard to do and has always been hard to do and, and going to be much harder to do as, as many countries start to regulate the internet in a different way. Um, but YouTube really struggles with this idea of they're going to treat one video or one market and country differently than another. And have they been successful in that? I, I mean, this is, they like Facebook have uh, uh, put Donald Trump's uh, YouTube channel in an indefinite suspension. Uh, which is, as far as I know, is the only channel in that purgatory. Um, I think they've, they've certainly struggled with how to handle uh, Trump and Trumpian politics. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they've, they've talked about this in the book. They've, you know, starting in, in uh, 2017, YouTube cracked down extremely hard against uh, uh, ISIS and Islamist extremists. Um, they did not apply a similar in their employees in the company Notice, notice this. They did not imply similar policies and, and stringent sort of just outright bans, um, as, as well as like really reducing the, the amount of the spread of videos. 
to other forms of extremism. And I think that's now changing after uh, several tragedies uh, involving uh, white supremacists mm-hmm. and pressure from outside and pressure from the company. So that's something that, that the company has, has struggled with for a long time and, and probably will continue to do so. What are the threats that TikTok poses to YouTube at this point? Yeah, great question. TikTok uh, is a really new threat to YouTube, um, not just because it, it's, it's incredibly popular. Um, it's where a lot of like young teenagers and, and 20-somethings spend a lot of their time. Um, but they, you know, YouTube has faced that with um, uh, Vine. They faced that with Facebook to a certain extent and Instagram. But those platforms, apps, were never able to pay creators, uh, really. You know, and, and Instagram has tried many times, of, but any, most influencers who make money on Instagram make it through uh, you know, outside brand deals. They don't get it directly from the company. TikTok has started to do that, um, and YouTube just responded earlier this month and is now uh, they've introduced a feature called Shorts. It's, it's basically a TikTok, TikTok copycat, and they're starting to uh, pay creators to make those. And I think that just shows that the company really sees this as, a, as a, not just a concern for their viewers, but also for their for talent. Is VR a threat to, to YouTube, or is that and or is that something YouTube is looking to the future with? They had Google and um, has had various attempts at VR. They kind of scaled back those programs, I think, uh, in part because maybe rightly you know that it's many years away right. if it ever comes. Um, I do think that YouTube has invested enough to make, you know, they have like a VR viewing experience. Um, certainly like Facebook is, is trying with their own video product, but it's hard to imagine a world in which if we're wearing VR headsets uh, we and we want to watch a video, we're not going to turn to YouTube just because the, no other platform has just a wide breadth of a library of, of material. Can you see YouTube or Alphabet, I guess, spinning off YouTube at some point as a separate company? Um, it's hard for me to imagine. I, I think it doesn't seem like the Department of Justice is going to force Google. I, I would imagine that uh, Google would not do that uh, unless they were forced to. Um, it is just it's so critical to Google, so critical to YouTube's ads business and to its machinery. You know, its recommendation system runs on, on Google's. Uh, using Google, Google's AI research, um, its its ads are sold by Google salespeople. Like it, it is tied intimately with the mother company. And what is the biggest thing uh, you would think that people don't know or don't understand about YouTube that would they would find surprising? That's a really good question. Uh, I mean, in some sense, it's just the the the, the, the um, absolute enormity. Uh, I mean, the, I, I, the thing that shocked me and, and, and when I show people that they're shocked too, is if you, if you go look at the most, um, popular YouTube channels right now by, by traffic, they are almost all, um, children's channels, nursery rhymes and, and, and videos and channels starring children and made for young kids. And they get, um, just, you know, something like 300 million, 500 million views per week. It just, um, it sort of blows away your concept of, of what's popular on media. And so I think, and that's just, and then you look outside of, of um, the U S too, like India, in India, YouTube has almost half a, half a billion monthly users um, more than Twitter has across, across the world. And so I think those, those are stats that just kind of, uh, I don't think people really appreciate how, how large and significant YouTube is. 
Mark Bergen. His book is Like, Comment, Subscribe, Inside YouTube's Chaotic Rise to World Domination. Mark, I thank you so much for spending time with us. Thank you so much. It was really great. Thank you.